Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. of the Believe Podcast Network. It's time for the Believe in Ole Miss Podcast with your host, Brad Logan, your home for Ole Miss sports. To be a part of the show, email the show at brad.logan at loganmedianetwork.com or shoot him a DM on Twitter at bradloganCOTE. Download the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review online. And now, from the vault to the pavilion to Swayze Field, it's all Ole Miss all the time. Here's your host, Brad Logan. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. They're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. So be sure and head on over to the updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Join and use the promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. That's B L E A V 50. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take the advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. That's betonline.ag. And welcome into today's show. Excited uh, that you're along for the ride with us today. Reminder. Great interview with Michael Katz. We had him just a couple of days ago. It's in the podcast file, so be sure and go back and listen to that. You know, other than breaking down some of the the things that happened against Texas A&M, what I really enjoyed was hearing about how, you know, backstage and in between takes college game day was. So it's a great interview with Michael, who, of course, covers Ole Miss for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal. And it was a great interview as we talked about the win over Texas A&M that Ole Miss had 29-19. And uh, this week we'll have uh, Vanderbilt and Ole Miss, and we're excited to have Chris Lee of VandySports.com. Chris has covered Vanderbilt for a number of years. Got to break down the, the Vanderbilt lineup, go over the the previous games that the Commodores have played. They've had a pretty rough year, only winning two games, haven't won a game in the conference yet. But I expect, uh, I expect Vanderbilt to play Ole Miss hard. Don't expect them to win the game, but I expect them to, to play Ole Miss hard. The, the deal with Ole Miss is – I think if you're a Rebel fan, you want to do your best to not get anyone injured and play some younger guys in the second half and get Matt Corral out of the game. You know, we heard and we've seen both Lane Kiffin uh, and Keith Carter come out, and they really, uh, you know, they really want some people in the stands on Saturday night. And Lane Kiffin even went on the uh, the weekly conference call and pretty much just asked, you know, fans to come out and support the team. And I think it was good that the Ole Miss ticket office, along with the athletic department, put a combo a ticket package in for 25 bucks to get you in the game on Saturday night, kickoffs at 6.30. And then uh, you get a free ticket to Mississippi Valley. Uh, that game, I think it's on the 29th, the day after Thanksgiving on the Friday. Get a free ticket to the basketball game. So really neat deal that they've got running. 
Uh, you can just go to Ole Miss Ticks, T-I-X.com, and uh, they'll be able to hook you up with those uh, with a special ticket. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not a great team that Ole Miss is playing, but I think more than anything, it gives you an opportunity to say goodbye to the seniors, uh, the players that have – you know, been through some lean years uh, in their early on, uh, early career. And I think it's pretty neat to see where this program is ending. Definitely, I, I think probably the lowest part will be a 9-3 and three season. And obviously, the, the best part will be 10 wins. As for a bowl game, I think it's pretty cut and dry right now, at least for the most part. Uh, it's going to rely on a couple of things happening. Let's, uh, you know, hypothetically say that Ole Miss wins out. Yeah, 10 wins. Should be good enough for a couple of bowl games. And I think if Alabama were to beat Georgia and make the playoff, I think that gives Ole Miss a great shot for the Sugar Bowl. If Alabama doesn't win, I think that's a great shot for Ole Miss to go to the Peach Bowl. The Fiesta is obviously out there. That's an opportunity. But I think from, you know, drivable distances, I think helps Ole Miss in regards to obviously getting to getting fans to the game. And I think uh, New Orleans would be a perfect destination for this football team. But it's a big but. I mean, I expect Ole Miss to win the game Saturday. Now the Egg Bowl is a whole other ball of wax. Now all of a sudden Mississippi State has something to play for. The chance to go 8-4 and four and get to a Florida Bowl. I think for Mississippi State, the Outback Bowl is definitely a possibility. The Citrus Bowl is a possibility. The Gator Bowl, definitely a possibility. So... Mississippi State, a lot to play for. Not quite as much as for the Rebels because uh, Ole Miss has a chance to play in that Access Bowl. A lot of scuttlebutt going around. If you're listening to this, it's on a Thursday. Now, forgive me for not uh, just giving the floor to a convicted felon down in Miami, but I think you'd be living on the rock if you didn't think that Lane Kiffin enjoyed being around water. And everyone... Uh, you know, if you read the you know social media and the, the different national people that you follow, Lane Kiffin's always been kind of intrigued with the Miami job from from people in coaching circles. They've always said that Lane has always enjoyed that job, so kind of fits his persona and definitely something to monitor. I still though, I just still really think that what Kiffin is able to do here with Levy as his offensive coordinator. Recruiting at a high level, really getting in the transfer portal. And I know that that they're going to hit the portal hard. By the way, before I get too far down this road, some two great stories by David Johnson of 247 Sports. Right now posted on the website, 247sports.com. Scroll down to Inside the Rebels. If you don't have access to the site, it's very simple. They've run a couple specials now. Definitely the place for recruiting, 247sports.com. And uh, David does a great job. All all the guys who work at the site uh, pretty much come <laughs> recruiting. It's all hands on deck right now uh, and inside the Rebels. So there are a couple of stories. A couple, couple of visitors will be in town. Uh, they'll all – well, I'll just say that. There's a, there's a thread on there that, uh, that you can go and read about who's expected on campus and that sort of thing. So David and Chris have done a great job updating that. So if you look at Lane Kiffin – and the job that he has right now. It's a great opportunity for him to stay as long as he wants. I firmly believe that sooner rather than later, there'll be a conversation between Lane Kiffin and Keith Carter, the athletic director at Ole Miss, and there'll be a substantial amount of money talked about. 
it wouldn't surprise me if they completely restructure the current contract. Now, I understand the state of Mississippi law has a limit on the number of years, but there are ways around that. And I expect that Lane Kiffin will have every opportunity to stay at Ole Miss as long as he wants. The question remains, what happens at the other jobs? My good friend Brett Norsworthy always told me, Brett, of course, has been a friend of this podcast and is a pre- and post-game host of the Ole Miss Radio Network. He said, <laughs> he said, Brad, they're either coming to get your coach or you're looking to fire him. For the most part, that's true. There are a handful of jobs out there to where that's not necessarily the case. But it could be argued even at those jobs, those one or two, maybe five jobs in the country, to where eventually you're either run off or someone steals you away. At the end of the day, it's kind of where it is at Ole Miss. One of the most arguably most successful teams since the 50s. I mean, you know, especially if they can win out. Get to 10 wins for the first time in program history. Pretty high cotton. Looking at the, let's, let's rewind just for a moment, and I've thought about this. This Ole Miss football team, everyone that's listening to this podcast, watch the Louisville game, whether in person or on television. Opening game in Atlanta, a great scene, really cool thing. I really enjoyed it. 43-24, Ole Miss beats Louisville. And I think at the end of the day, I know I was asking people, you know, during the game, and I know you were probably scratching your head, what's going on with this defense? And the only thing I could come away with, man, I don't know if they're any good or not, but there are a lot of new faces on the field. I didn't know much about Jake Springer and Isaiah Eiton. Chance Campbell, I'd heard he is pretty good. And who's this Robinson dude playing linebacker? Well, here we are, what, eight, nine weeks later, I think it's pretty safe to say Ole Miss got a pretty good defense. And I think the G word can be used here. You know, serviceable, not bad. There have been many things to describe the defense. Good hasn't been one of them. I've been pretty steadfast. Even during the summer doing interviews, people ask me what I think about the defense. Well, I'll say this. I don't know if they're going to be any good or not. They're going to have a lot of new faces. And from what I understand... Those new faces are have a pretty vital role in the defense, and they have. Most important players are either transfers from either JUCO or the portal. That's it. And I think that's one thing that Lane Kiffin is going to do as a head coach. He's going to go to the portal. Is there a long-term success? And I really, again, I'm not just hyping up the website, but Chris Brooks has been around recruiting a long time. And the recruiting thread for today, and today being Wednesday, by the way, we're recording late Wednesday night. So you're probably listening to this on Thursday. It'll still be up on the board at Inside the Rebels. Chris lays out some great information about recruiting the portal versus recruiting high school versus recruiting JUCO and somewhere kind of in the middle. And I encourage all of you to go read that. Some great information. I I learned a lot by reading it. So that's how recruiting's going. But how do you recruit with all this you know, stuff going on? Look, we've got messages out to the administration at Ole Miss like everyone else. We, we, I mean, it's in regards to a statement, uh, when, when some type of um, 
contract would be presented, when it would be signed. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know that there's anything the university can say right now because it's during the season. I think you're just going to get the, the same answer that, that any good AD would say. We're very happy with our coach, and we'll discuss at the end of the year. We'll have our meeting or after the bowl game or maybe after the end of the game. I'm sorry, after the last game. I, I don't know. But I think we'll probably hear something one way or another after the Egg Bowl because that's when they quote-unquote have Black Friday. That's when we'll see if Florida opens. That's when we'll see. But, by the way, Florida's not open. And Miami is not open. But I think Miami would open sooner than Florida. We saw not long ago Florida make the decision, or at least Scott Strickland and Dan Mullen made the decision to to part ways with a couple of defensive coaches. Defensive coordinator Todd Grantham, Hevesy, you know, some, some coaches were let go. And that tells you that, you know, Dan Mullen probably will be back next year. They also have two games left on the schedule. If it goes sour, maybe they maybe they let them go. They call it the silly, silly season. I, I, I've referenced that. Maybe so. But right now, Lane Kiffin's a hot commodity, and people are going to come after him. Ole Miss opened the season, by the way, 3-0. and Louisville. Big win over Austin P, of course. And then Tulane. And you'll remember, Tulane came into that game. It was almost a little dicey. Didn't know what to expect with Tulane. But it was... I mean, the field was sopping wet. Rebels did a good job. Won the game big. 61-21. They go on the road and face a, the number one team in the country, Alabama. Lose 42-21. to Just didn't play well. Had a national audience and just flat did not play well. Come back, and that's kind of when the stretch run began. That's when I thought, I don't know what they can do. 12 and 3, by the way, after their past 15 games. 12 and, 12 and 3 under Lane Kiffin. Next three games are wins, and I didn't think they could win all three of them. At, the point, at that point, Arkansas was number 13 in the country. Had a big win over Texas. At that point, Texas was breathing. Had a big win over Texas A&M. Won the game 52-51 to because of the defense. Won because of the defense. Go on the road to Tennessee, 31-26. Insane environment. Insane. Won that game because of the defense. Last, last play of the game. Hosted LSU. Beat Ed pretty well. Kind of, kind of got a little squirrely there in the second half but but Ole Miss won 31 to 17 go on the road defense played well again offense was you know I, I've heard people say that offense they couldn't do that I mean let's be honest Mackerel was hurt they were playing with walk-ons in a lot of positions so lose the game 31 to 20 only give up three points in the second half next week here comes Hugh Freeze pulling out all the stops defense played phenomenal Sacked their quarterback, what, seven times in the first half. Won the game 27-14. Wasn't that close. Got a little squirrely in the second half, but still. Won big. Last week against Texas A&M, guess what? Zach Calzada played one of the worst games of the season because of the Ole Miss defense. I think there's a trend here. 
That'll help the Rebels as Vanderbilt comes in. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to be very good. They may have their, and you'll hear the interview from Chris in just a moment, they may use more of their mobile quarterback that could cause a problem. I just don't think Vanderbilt defensively has, has the horses to stop the Ole Miss offense. Something to monitor for Mississippi State. Look, Will Rogers can sling it. Honestly, one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC right now, probably one of the best in the country. But he's not mobile, and, and that bodes well for Ole Miss. If Ole Miss has an advantage going into the game, it's that Mississippi State does not have a mobile quarterback. That that has proven to be problematic for the for the uh, for the Ole Miss team. They don't have to use, for example, they don't have to use Robinson or they don't have to use a Campbell, anyone to spy the quarterback. They can kind of pin their ears back when they need to and, and come after the quarterback. The problem, the problem with that is, man, Will Rogers is really, really good. He's really improved over the last you know couple of games, and uh, it's going to be a tough, tough out for Ole Miss in a couple of weeks. As it stands, Vanderbilt is up next, and we'll hear from Chris Lee from VandySports.com. We had a great interview with Chris, so excited to, uh, to welcome Chris aboard. The numbers for the podcast continue to be really good, and we're so grateful for our listeners for subscribing, uh, having a rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're at all the major podcast platforms, and, of course, uh, on 247sports.com, uh, inside the Rebels of 247 Sports affiliate. So excited about our partnership with CBS and 247 Sports and the entire team at Inside the Rebels. There's a lot coming down the pipe, by the way. David Johnson, Chris Brooks, and Tyler Comas are doing a great job right now. It's kind of an all-hands-on-deck, but there are other people coming aboard. So uh, be on the lookout for that, and we'll announce that right here, the Believe Podcast Network. As always, we're grateful for our sponsorships, and that includes Bet Online. We encourage you to head on over to the updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. That's BetOnline, www.betonline.ag. We'll be back with more right here on Believe in Ole Miss Podcast, a part of the Believe Podcast Network. Chris Lee of Vandy Sports joining us in a moment. It is a place which exerts an extraordinary pull on all who have walked its hallowed ground. Thousands come each year, and yet no one ever really leaves. Ole Miss is for life. A major university with the familiar intimacy of family. Friendships that are more than friendships. Moments that are more than moments. An autumn celebration on a Saturday afternoon in the Grove. Contests waged and triumphs savored. With our largest freshman class, soaring honors college, national reputation for academics and research, our pride is overflowing. Today, more than ever, for all who have ever called this magical place home, you never leave Ole Miss. Welcome back to the Believe in Ole Miss podcast with your host, Brad Logan. Want to be a part of the program? Just email the show at brad.logan at loganmedianetwork.com or shoot him a DM on Twitter at bradlogancote. Whether it's touchdown Ole Miss or showers and right, it's all Ole Miss all the time. And now back to the show. (laughs) 
happy to be joined by Chris Lee. Chris, uh, of course, is the man over at VandySports.com, and I call Chris a personal friend as well. Chris, thanks very much for doing this. It's been a long time coming, and today's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm glad we're able to do this. Looking at this football team, uh, Vanderbilt, of course, uh, earlier in the year had a tough loss against East Tennessee State, but I think coming back the following week against uh, Colorado State, getting a, a big win on the road. Now, I, I know Vandy has struggled this year, but for Clark Lee, I thought it was a testament to him personally to get the team up after a terrible loss to East Tennessee State early in the year. Yeah, this has been a tough year. This is one of the least talented Vanderbilt teams that I have ever seen. But the one thing you can say is it's not quit. Um, you know, maybe you can say that last week Kentucky wasn't exactly hitting the gas pedal in the second half. But all Vanderbilt could do was was play the second half rather than fold it in. And you mentioned that second game of the season coming off a really bad loss to ETSU. You know, as bad as Vanderbilt has been, I think that's the first time the Commodores had ever lost to an FCS team and one that it had soundly beaten a couple of years ago under Dick Mason. So I, I think – Wins were going to be few and far between. I think that's been evident before the season and certainly during the season. But you, you got to give him at least credit for that, uh, at least scratching out a couple coming off an 0-9 season two years ago. Uh, progress is going to be measured in very small steps with this program where it is right now. And uh, so at least at least they grabbed a couple early in the season before the conference schedule hit. And, and, and boy, that's not going to be a lot of fun for them down the stretch. The UConn game. It got a lot of publicity. A lot of people watched that game, and Vandy was able to come away with a win there. Obviously, this year, it's been a tough stretch. Do you think at some point, some of the younger players, that maybe when they get some more talent in here, the younger players become seniors, maybe they could garner something from those close wins uh, maybe this year? I mean, you hope so. Let's be honest. This is going to be a really long rebuild. Um, The talent is about as bad as I've seen it at Vanderbilt in a long, long time. I mean, you might have to go back to the, the 80s when it was this bleak. And you just look around. They don't have a lot of players, Brad. I mean, you'll you'll see this on Saturday when they're going to lose a lot of foot races to Ole Miss, which has got a lot more speed than they've got. They're, they're not super physical in the trenches, and they just lost their best defensive lineman. I, I think if – doesn't just totally kill confidence and I don't think it's a super confident bunch Uh, maybe these are things you can build on but the big thing is they've got to get better talent and that's a lot to bite off right now for Clark Lee speaking of Clark Lee obviously his first year as head coach of Vanderbilt you look at games and losses against South Carolina 21 to 20 when they had a chance to win that game down the stretch Uh, two weeks later against Missouri 37 28 another close loss uh, somewhat of a close loss competitive against Kentucky for a while is this something that Clark Lee can sell to some recruits that, look, I understand, you know, we, we've had some tough losses, but we can let you come in here, you can play immediately, and uh, we're kind of getting there, although it's going to take a little bit. Yeah, he's going to sell, and, and internally he said, we need some time to change the culture, uh, which I think is a valid point. You would have liked to see more wins this year, but back to what I said combined with what you just said, Brad, it's obvious that they don't have anywhere near the talent, even that some of the bottom-tier SEC teams like South Carolina and Missouri have. They just need more speed and athleticism. I think they're going for that. Um, I think you can sell to kids that, yes, 
you come here, you'll have a chance to play in the SEC early. I'm sure they're using that on the recruiting trail as, as well they should. And, um, you know, again, that, that's kind of all they got at this point other than the facility stuff, which got announced last week. But even that is a few years in the distance. So I think playing time is their best sell right now, and I'm sure they're selling that. Yeah, I want to talk about the facility thing in just a moment uh, with Candace Lee coming out. I think she voiced that video, um, and it looked really cool. I want to talk about some things that are coming down the pipe. Before we do, I'd like to talk about just this this uh, this team, this Vanderbilt team this year. And I think a lot of people are looking at quarterback. I know Ken Seals has kind of been on and off. I think he's been a little bit injured. Do you think we'll see Mike Wright at quarterback uh, on Saturday? They listed the depth chart yesterday, and they listed Mike Wright or Ken Seals in that order. The offense had a lot more momentum with Wright last week. It's probably played better with him on the whole. Although I would say that Mike has played on the whole an easier slate than, than Ken has. Uh, you know, he got to play their two games against what will by far be their easiest two SEC teams, and I think that helped. You know, with Seals, you mentioned the injuries. He's had a finger issue. Uh, last week it appeared he hurt his knee. He was limping around on the sidelines. He's taken a battering under an offensive line that just can't protect him. The, the plays a lot of times take too long to develop. That whole thing has just been a developmental nightmare for him at the quarterback position. Because I thought, frankly, coming in and playing as a true freshman last year with the lack of talent around him, with the offensive line issues, he really showed me something. I think this year uh, the line has gotten worse. He's gotten hit more. I think it's affected his confidence. That's one of those things, and I don't know how much Clark Lee is going to take the long view. Because right now the perception is Mike Wright gives him a better chance to win games um, because Mike can just run and take off when the pressure closes in and makes some plays. And Ken just isn't that type of guy. I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to Ken Seals uh, to, to blame him for, for the lack of production in a lot of ways when he doesn't have time to make a simple throw and it's killed his confidence. And I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out, Brad, because they're not going to win one of the last two games. Um coming into the season was he was there these are probably my words rather than theirs kind of their franchise quarterback and and I think again for good reason based on the way he played a year ago but that's going to be interesting is how do they balance the well right now our line can't block anybody and that probably gives Mike Wright a better chance to succeed against the the perception that he was our quarterback coming the season it's not gone well not necessarily all his fault uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, too, especially with the transfer portal in a time and age where if a kid doesn't think he's going to play, he can go find somewhere else where he can. And so I think the next two weeks, in terms of the quarterback position, uh, I think that's the most interesting storyline on the team right now. One thing that stood out to me looking at the stats uh, after the Monday press conference with uh, head coach Lane Kiffin for Ole Miss, I was completely blown away that the running back for Vanderbilt, Patrick Smith, their number one running back, only 325 yards on the season. You know, Vanderbilt's always a team that's been synonymous with at least having one or two running backs, either someone from Memphis or maybe somewhere in Nashville. And they just, you know, just really surprised me. And the second thing I took away from that, their second leading rusher is Mike Wright, the quarterback, at 306 yards. And that's one thing that Ole Miss has had trouble with was a mo- is a mobile quarterback this year. So uh, two things to take away from that, uh, Chris. Number one, 
where is the rushing attack with this Vanderbilt team that we've seen in years past? And number two, do you think it might be Mike Wright because Ole Miss has had such problems with uh, with mobile quarterbacks? Uh, to the latter, I suspect that's where they're going to go. That's not based on information. Again, I, I'm going to I'm going to just say that the depth chart, combined with the fact that the quarterback, the starter is a little banged up, might be their tell there. But we'll wait and see. To the running back situation, this was a thing where we knew they didn't have much talent coming into the year. And I watched Raymond Davis go through fall camp. Uh, I, he had his workload limited. I think he might have won a knee brace at times. Uh, there was already some hints of an injury that you were hearing whispers of in fall camp. They get into the season, and he's not able to, to go past a couple of games. He got hurt. He's done for the year. He's had surgery. Um so now they're down their best running back. And they've had Rocco Griffin's been their number two. He's been hurt. Patrick Smith's the, the best guy standing. I think he's, frankly, a better player than Griffin. He was a kid who was the New Jersey High School Player of the Year. He was a two-star recruit. And you can look at him and you can understand why. He's, he's probably quick and fast, but he's not elite. And he's not the biggest guy either. And it's one of those things where if he can maintain his speed and quickness – and get maybe 15 pounds heavier, then frankly they've got a player there. But he has shown me some things uh, this year that make me think he can have a, a nice career at Vanderbilt. Uh, it'll be interesting next year if they get Ray Davis back, they might have two or three running backs on which they can build a little bit of foundation at a position where they are really, really shallow in terms of depth. I think they've only got uh, either three or four healthy starting or scholarship running backs on the team right now. And, and again, that's just – Another example of kind of where the cupboard was left for Clark Lee. Catching the football, it's been pretty much Will Shepard and Chris Pierce Jr. Uh, Chris Pierce Jr., the sophomore, uh, 496 yards, almost uh, 500 yards in the season. And then, of course, right behind him, Will Shepard at 466. Those have been the two main targets. Uh, what kind of sets them apart from the remaining receiving core? Um, first of all, just as a point of information, Shepard was out last week with the flu, so he didn't play against Kentucky. And a kid named Amir Abdul-Rahman, who's pretty talented, um, although he's a senior, got a chance and, and really popped a little bit last week. But Shepard and Pierce have been two guys that rarely come off the field. Uh, both, I would say, are more possession receivers. Shepard and Pierce have both got really good body control. Pierce will make um, almost NFL highlight real grass, but neither of them are burners, but they've been really consistent. You know, the issue with Vanderbilt again is providing a solid pocket to get a throw off uh, and routes, frankly, I think that are, they're too far downfield at times for them to really take advantage of, especially with that blocking situation. But th those two guys are good ones. They're not great ones, uh, but Shepard's a guy that's got a couple years left after this one. And I think is going to be a kid who's going to have his name, all over the, the receiving leaderboards at Vanderbilt by the time he's done. The two linebackers lead the defense, Ethan Barr and Anthony uh, Orgy. Uh, are those the two main tacklers on this defense or anyone else that Ole Miss fans should be looking for on that Commodore defense? Not really. It's not a defense that really has got standouts anywhere. Barr has popped at times. He's got a couple of picks. Has had some big tackle games. Orgy is probably their most talented guy. In terms of their full-time starters, uh, he's a converted safety who's playing linebacker. And the other guy to watch is a kid that was an Ole Miss commit, Ricky Wright. Um, he's gotten a little sideways with the coaching staff at times and been suspended for a couple games. But when he's out there, uh, he may be their most talented guy. 
he's playing that hybrid linebacker slash safety position. So that's not a name that you see on the stat sheet a lot. Uh, but if he's playing, and I expect he probably will on Saturday, uh, th- that's a guy that has a chance to be a pretty good football player for Vanderbilt. Kickoff 630 on the SEC Network. Of course, that's in Oxford. Uh, you'll get the A crew with Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kublick. By the way, Chris, Ole Miss and Vandy tied 8-8 to over the last 15 years. Found that rather surprising. It's been a really good series. Um, You know, some of that came at the first of that sample size where Ole Miss was was struggling and going through, um, you know, some coaching transitions. Uh, You know, for whatever reason, Vanderbilt has always brought one of its best games against Ole Miss every year. Um, I I think this year they could do it. It probably just won't matter. I think the the talent discrepancy between the two teams – is pretty massive, and Ole Miss's speed is just going to give them a lot of problems, not not just their speed on the field, but the speed at which they run their offense. But, yeah, it has been a very underrated series, uh, and, and hopefully before long Vanderbilt can make it interesting again, but I don't think this is the year, and, and next year probably is not either. And really, it should be 10-8 to 8 Vanderbilt because if you'll remember, uh, I believe it was 2012, it took a 90-some-odd-yard uh, run with like a minute to go in the game in Nashville uh, where Ole Miss actually came away with the win late in the game. I think that was 2012. So it's definitely been a series in which both uh, Vanderbilt and Ole Miss have played very tight over the years. Uh, but, yeah, the line is pretty big on this one, and Ole Miss is a heavy favorite coming into to the game. Now, you know, obviously Vanderbilt fans look into the future, and I think there's a, a good reason to. Uh, you look at uh, the administration, you and I have kind of talked – off air about what the direction of the program is with Candace Lee uh, and where things are headed to actually get a video and get some things on paper. I think it's a big step in the right direction. I'm sorry. I lost you a little bit in the conversation there. Can you repeat? Yeah. That? Yeah. I was just uh, talking about how you and I had kind of talked off air about the future of Vanderbilt football and Vanderbilt athletics under the direction of Candace Lee. Uh, and everybody the, in the administration had, had been talking about some plans facility-wise over the last, gosh, probably 10 years, maybe 15 years. And now, all of a sudden, to get a video, to be able to get some things on paper, to release things to the public, it looks at, it looks like Vanderbilt's going to take a big step in the facility direction over the next couple of years. Yeah, they are. And I understand there's going to be stuff that, that's going to come out with some pretty big expenditures that wasn't even included in that. But you know, Vanderbilt, it's just a strange place because this is probably the most historic thing that's happened at the school in, you know, in at least my lifetime in terms of commitment to facilities. I mean, there, there were times like you, you wondered, would they spend $100 on something if they didn't have to? Uh, and I'm being a little facetious, but it was almost that bad. And all of a sudden they're making a $300 plus million dollar commitment. I, I think 300 is what they've announced. Privately, I've been told that's more like $400 million. Uh, now, look, I don't know how much of that. It's $400 million now, and it was $300 million a couple of years ago before we had supply chain issues and, and the prices and stuff just skyrocket. But it, it, either case, right, that's a substantial commitment by the school. And I think the, the credit almost exclusively has to go to the chancellor. He's a guy that's pushed for stuff. Um, I think it is probably – I'm not going to say put his job in jeopardy. That would be a leap. But Vanderbilt is a place where they take pride, a lot of the people there. And I don't think – when people have asked me, 
okay, who's the person or people at Vanderbilt that, that have kept athletics progress from happening over the years? I don't know that it's always a person or people. I think it's more of a culture. And it's been explained to me like this, that if you're really good in sports, a lot of the campus views sports as a waste of time. And if you're really good in it, you have been spending too much time on something that's trivial. Of course, you and I would disagree with that. I think we would say that athletics develops, you know, perseverance and character and a lot of things that come in handy late in life. You've got a chancellor that finally understands that, and he's pushed for a lot of things uh, with facilities and some other things privately. That athletic department needed somebody that had the, the guts to fight the fights or to make the arguments privately with the people there who don't value sports in the way that, that they do. And uh, from what I understand, and I think there's always going to be some obstacles there. Um, I, I think they've got to find a better way for their kids to, to get classes when they need to, because they have to schedule practices and everything differently than they do at every other SEC school. But you know, it is what it is. And you, you can say what you want, but, Putting three hundred to four hundred million dollars out there is a quantum leap up for a program that, that had to do it. Um, you know, they just become a laughing stock in so many ways. And, and I think in terms of football, it's going to take a couple more years to fix that on the field. But I think when you show up to Vanderbilt Stadium, twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five, it's going to look a lot different. It's going to be very nice, and I think they're finally going to have some of the facilities that their athletes really need to compete at a high level, things that will help them in recruiting. Uh, and I just don't think you can underestimate the importance of that because Vanderbilt's never had a fair fight with the rest of the league. And you can even say that's going to be tough going forward, but it's going to narrow the gap a good bit just with that alone. And, I'm, you know, I'm just stunned that they – I'm not stunned. I know how the school works. But releasing that in a, a noon Friday news dump, instead of calling a press conference and, and getting that out middle of the week where they could have gotten attention nationally, I think that tells you a lot about how much they still fight at at the school. That, that, that was kind of a, hey, fans, here's some good news for you, but let's not put it out to where our, our academic community is talking about it. At least that's where I read it. Uh, I, I think that both the substance of the announcement and the timing of it uh, tell you a lot about the conditions at that place. Where the football field stands, Dudley Field, the northeast corner, of course, there's the basketball arena, Memorial Gymnasium. Directly to the south is the baseball facility. Is anything going to change from where they stand as they are? Will they will they just receive, at least from what you can be able to tell, what will the new football indoor be adjacent to the, re the remaining facilities? And is that northern end of Commodore Stadium going to be the place where they – put the suites and that sort of thing, and they leave the south end zone alone? Is that is that what it looks like? No, let me let me give you the the visual of this, if you've ever been in that stadium. You, you know where that open end zone is? Yes. Where they put in a little bit of premium seating this year. It backs up to the Marriott. There's going to be a massive, massive basketball building there. Um, that's going to have a couple of practice courts full length. They're going to have weight room and facilities for the basketball teams. And there's going to be some other stuff inside that building. I think that's where they'll do some of the food prep with the concession stands. That's something I heard mentioned a long time ago. And there's going to be a lot of premium seating in that building. And it's going to be really, really big. It's going to basically connect both sides of the stadium right there. And I think the, um, 
the opposite end from the press box, there's going to be a little reconfiguration of the seating there, maybe a little bit too, as they join that building to the uh, that end of that stadium where it's open. And then if you go to the closed-in zone, they're going to knock all that out, and they're going to put in another building on that side okay. that's going to be for football. Um, and I think that'll have their weight room and all those things. And then across the street, um, if you know the tunnel – Underneath that closed end zone where the players come in, um, across the street is McGugan Center, which is a red brick building, which has been there for a long time. That's where their athletics administrative offices are. That building is going to be completely remade to where it's going to have a lot of support stuff. The offices are going to be redone. It's going to be much bigger. And they're actually going to close that street uh, behind it, which is Jess Neely Boulevard. That street will no longer be there. Um, in a way that they can fit all this stuff in there so that that street will be gone. Of course, as you mentioned, the baseball stadium's right there. And then behind McGugan Center is where the football practice fields are. They're going to have a brand-new indoor practice facility right behind that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be open air on one side or, or maybe glass. I, I think that's probably more like it. But they'll be able to move seamlessly from the outdoor field to the indoor field is weather hits. Uh, everything's going to be right there together to where kids aren't having to run to and fro. Like, I, I know this year a couple times I went to fall camp, and they would have to, when when thunder hit in the area, they'd have to halt practice. They'd have to take everything inside their indoor facility. It was a good probably five-minute walk for everybody. What's well, time that you've wasted? Everything's going to be right there and a whole lot more compact. And, and the look of it uh, from the drawings – uh, boy, it, it's going to be pretty spectacular in terms just of, of, of how it just completely transforms that into campus and that stadium. I, I think it's going to go from a thing where people make jokes about that stadium uh, to where people come. And I, I think they're really going to have their eyes open with what they're going to do when it's done. And are you guessing 2024, 2025 when this is completed, the stadium? That's what I have heard privately. I asked Candace Lee about that in the news conference yesterday. Uh, in, in typical fashion, she did not give a lot in terms of details, but she also didn't push back when I threw that out there as a timeline. So I, I would assume that's when it's all going to be finished. And before we let you go, of course, basketball has tipped off. We'd love to get your thoughts on Stackhouse and kind of what you're expecting from a men ba- men's batch- basketball perspective for the Commodores this year. You know, I, I think they've got a shot to be a lot better. I think if they are fully healthy, that's an NIT-type team, maybe. Uh, they've got probably the best player of the league in Scottie Pippen. At least that's what the voters thought before the season. Um, I don't know if he's going to end up winning it because you got so many good teams and so many great players. And let's say Vandy finishes 9th, 10th, 11th. SEC Player of the Year typically does not come from a team in that range. But the other night they're playing Texas State. And I, they're up maybe six to ten points with eight or nine minutes to play. He just takes over and scores 15 of his 30 points in the last eight minutes. Uh, he's phenomenal to watch. I think they have a chance to get a lot better when they get healthier, or maybe I should say if they get healthier. They brought in Liam Robbins from Minnesota, who was a leading shot blocker in the Big Ten last year, and frankly gives them a dimension underneath that they've not had since Luke Cornett. Um, graduated and went to the NBA. On the other side, what they desperately needed was a guy who could guard in the backcourt. Their guards have not been very good 
and defending people and keeping them out of the lane. They brought in Rodney Chapman from Dayton, who was a really good player and started on that team that probably was going to be a one seed two years ago before the NCAA tournament got called off. Neither Robbins nor Chapman have played a minute this year with injuries. They're hoping to get Robbins back by the start of SEC play, but he's a seven-footer with a foot issue. That's not always a really good combination. Robbins, or excuse me, Chapman had an injury that popped up in fall practices in October. And so about a week before the season, Jerry Stackhouse made an announcement that surprised us all, uh, said he was going to be out probably four to six weeks with meniscus surgery. And so, or I don't know if it was surgery, but it was certainly an injury. So that has set them back probably two of their top four players, but they're 2-0. and They've got a test against VCU tonight, which is Wednesday as I'm speaking. I don't think it's a vintage VCU team, but it's better than what they played. That'll tell us a little bit more. Uh, gut feeling is this going to be a better team, but they've got to get Chapman and Robbins healthy if they're going to win a lot of SEC games because without them, the league's just so good uh, that it's going to be hard for them to escape that you know, probably 9 to 11 range where a lot of people are picking them in. And, and, and frankly, if they don't have those two guys, it might be lower than that. He's Chris Lee. Be sure and follow him on Twitter at ChrisLee70, also the publisher of VandySports.com. Uh, Chris, man, thanks very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate giving us kind of an update on Vanderbilt football. And then, of course, the round ball is kind of getting tossed in the air. We'll be excited to see uh, what uh, the Commodores can do on the hardwood. I, I know personally – I had a blast watching Scottie Pippen Jr. play. He, he's a really good basketball player. Real quickly before we let you go, how in the world did he end up at Vanderbilt? You know, it's funny. I remember being at something – oh, goodness. It's been almost three years ago now. Um, and talking to somebody on that staff, the, the old staff, and they thought that when they brought Scottie Pippen in – they thought he was like a backup point guard who might develop. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Uh, I'm not sure he was even a top 150 recruiter. If he was, it wasn't by a lot. Nobody thought he'd be the kind of player he was, but you could see him as a freshman. He was just so smooth with the ball. He saw the floor really well. Uh, He wasn't intimidated by the competition. And I, I don't think anybody saw him developing into a player of the year type guy. And I still think his defense needs to get a lot better at times uh, if you're going to earn the kind of hype he's been getting. But just a phenomenal offensive player. Um, you know, he gets to the line and hits about as much as anybody in the country. He's just a headache to contain and just a joy to watch. He is fun to watch. And, Chris, we're very grateful you jumped on with us today here on the podcast. Man, wish you nothing but the best of luck. Now, now tell everybody out there, I really enjoy it, and I'd love for other people to do it too. Tell us a little bit about Southeastern 14 and about uh, your Vanderbilt podcast. Yeah, Southeastern 14 is a site that I started about February because I just don't think the league's baseball coverage league-wide, and frankly basketball either, are what they should be. You can go to little pockets, and especially at Rivals, you can get news on your team and get a lot of it and get really phenomenal coverage. But finding that all condensed in one place where you can really follow what goes on is hard to do. And so what we have done between our site, um, between a podcast feed we have and a YouTube channel that we're developing. In fact, um, I was a little late for my segment with you because we were finishing up a power rankings video where Blake Lovell and I went about 25 minutes 
ranking the teams 1-14 to and talking about what we had seen so far, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that anywhere, and we'll do it for baseball, too. Um, you know, we just watch tons of games every week and, and just try to condense what's going on in the league in one place. I think if you like that kind of coverage and you want to get it for free, which all of it is free, you can go to southeastern14.com. You can find our YouTube channel, Southeastern 14, or you can find our podcast feed. Uh, we do cover football, too. I'm not going to tell you we cover football as well as everybody else does, but but we're going to get there one day. And I think you'll find that our basketball and our baseball coverage league-wide, you'll get a lot of depth um, and a lot of frequency, frequency Excuse me, that you're just going to have a hard time finding other places. And so if that's your thing, I think you'll go to, to what we do there and you'll really like it. Um, as far as Vanderbilt, I run the Vanderbilt Rivals site, and we've also got our podcast, the Vandy Sports Podcast. That's free. Uh, we do that about three times a week. And if you want to stay up to date on what's happening with Commodores, uh, that's a really good place to do it. Yeah, and now, you know, don't let Chris sell himself short. Uh, he and Blake do a great job covering football on South Eastern 14. But obviously, uh, you know, our hearts are in baseball. <laughs> they kind of always have been. And uh, he and Blake do a phenomenal job, especially during uh, the baseball season. I love to catch up on what – you know, I'm one of those nerds where I love to know who the starting rotation at Georgia is, and I know that it'll be on the Southeastern 14 at some point. I'll get the lowdown on, on who's coming back for Carolina and uh, Georgia and all points in between. Chris, thanks very much for jumping on the show. Very much appreciate it. Look forward to uh, talking with you down the road. Uh, thank you so much. And once again, thanks to Chris Lee for joining us here today. As always, we're grateful for our sponsorships. And that includes Bet Online. We encourage you to head on over to the updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. That's Bet Online, www.betonline.ag. We'll see you next time on the Believe in Omis podcast, a part of the Believe Podcast Network. You've been listening to the Believe in Ole Miss podcast with your host, Brad Logan. Download the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review online. Be sure and check us out on Twitter at BradLoganCOTE and at Believe Podcasts, as well as Facebook, Brad Logan Media. From the vault to the pavilion to Swayze Field, it's all Ole Miss all the time. This has been the Believe in Ole Miss podcast, a presentation of the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.